0: Hi, my name is Caroline Durham and I'm the minister to children here at Heights Baptist Church. Thanks for joining us online today. You can find our content on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and at our website, heightschurch.org connect. You can let us know that you joined us today um, and let us know how we can be praying for you. Thanks for joining us.
1: If you've got a Bible with you today, whether it is one that you're going to open or one you're going to turn on, I'm going to invite you to go to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13 is where we are going to be. Some verses will be on the screen uh, for you as well. If if you don't have a Bible with you, but Mark 13 is where we are. What we'll be doing is next week is Palm Sunday, uh, and then we'll be in Mark 14 next week. Good Friday service will be in Mark 15, and then Easter Sunday is two weeks away, and we will finish up the Gospel of Mark in Mark 16, uh, talking about the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And so this morning, though, we're in Mark 13, and uh, I want to just pick us up in verse 24. Because as we get started here in verse 24, uh, we need to just kind of set some context for what's happening. Jesus says, but in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Now, when we come into verse 24, Jesus says, in those days, and after that tribulation, things are about to happen. And so Mark 13 is all about what's going to take place at the end, when Jesus comes again. Now, I don't know about you, but you may kind of at first go, oh, yeah, we are. Or you might go, I don't know if we are, but uh, I guarantee you, you are. We are a culture that likes to make predictions. We like to make predictions. Think about it. We try to predict the weather. Is it going to rain? Is it going to be sunny? Is it going to be hot? Is it going to be cold? We, we try to predict the weather all the time. If you have a friend that is pregnant, uh, before they tell you if they're having a boy or girl, you go, hang on, whoa, 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 hang on, let me guess you're going to have a girl, or let me guess you're going to have a boy. For those of you that commute up into Houston, you make predictions every day on that commute, right? Before you leave your house, should I leave it this time? Should I leave it that time? What's traffic gonna be like? Am I gonna get there on time? Am I not gonna get there on time? We make predictions all the time as people in culture. Let me tell you one prediction that if you make it, you will never, ever, 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 this would be the point in the message where you turn to your neighbor and say, He means ever, right? You will never get this right, all right? This is the prediction. If you try to predict the exact time Jesus is coming back, you won't get it, right? You'll fail. You'll be wrong. If you ever go to a church or you hear a pastor that says Jesus is going to come back on October 25th, 2050, you have my permission in that service to raise your hand and stand up and say, my pastor said, and the Bible more importantly, you're wrong, right? I won't ever make that prediction, so you don't have to do that here, by the way. But whoever ever tries to put a date on this will fail. They're wrong. We can't make that prediction of the exact moment Christ is coming back. But what you're going to learn in Mark 13 is that he's coming back. We can know that with sure confidence. And here's why this matters. Because you might think today, why in the world does a message about Jesus coming back matter to me? With all the stress I've got in my life, all the anxiety, all the job problems, relationship problems, financial problems, all that. Why in the world do I need a message like this? Here's why you need a message like this. Here's why I need a message like this. Because every single one of us sitting in this room, every person that's watching online right now, every person that was here at 9 o'clock, every person that was on this campus at 9 o'clock, every person in our city, every person in our state, every person in our nation, every person in our world will one day meet that Jesus. And here's why this matters. You got to be ready. Ready? And you have to ask yourself this question today, am I ready to meet Jesus? If I stood before him right now, if he came back today, am I ready to meet Jesus? Am I going to be in heaven for all of eternity or am I going to be apart from him in the lake of fire for all of eternity? Because those are one of the two destinations. You're going to be in either one of those places for all of eternity. Are you ready to meet Jesus? In Mark chapter 13, We can see three truths that I think are going to help you understand a little more about the return of Christ. Number one, Jesus is going to come for his people. So Jesus is going to come again, and he's going to come for his people. Now in verse 24, I already pointed out to you. In those days after that tribulation, uh, Mark or Jesus says, the sun's going to be darkened, the moon will not give its light. Verse 25, the stars will be fallen from heaven, the powers in heaven will be shaken. Verse 26 says, they'll see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he'll send out the angels, he says in verse 27. Gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now when he's talking about in verse 24, and I already kind of tipped my hand on this, but he says in those days after that tribulation, Now understand the whole chapter in Mark 13, there is a way to look at Mark 13 through what we would call a dual interpretation, all right? Meaning this, some people will say Mark 13, everything written there takes place in 70 AD. So Jesus is going to say everything I'm about to tell you, Mark 13, that's all 70 AD. All right? Now, for the people in 70 AD, when the Romans came in and they conquered the Jews and they destroyed the temple, they thought it was the end of the world. All right? they, they said this is the end of the world as we know it. All right? But we know it wasn't the end of the world. Time kept on progressing, and here we sit. So then there's another group that says Mark 13 is all about the future, and this is everything that's going to happen in the end. Then there's this kind of middle group, and I, and I fall in this middle group, that there's parts of Mark 13 that Jesus, when he said it, was a prediction for 70 A.D., Then there's parts of Mark 13, as he says it, is for the future, for the end. Let me show you one that would be for 70 A.D. In verses 1 through 2, Jesus says, As he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Jesus said to him, Do you see the great buildings? There will not be one left here upon one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Right? So verses one through two, we can look at and go, that's 70 A.D. That's the destruction of the temple. Then there's other verses like we're going to cover this morning that is pointing us to the future. So I take verse 24 to be what's going to happen in the end, the tribulation period there of the final seven years. We see when that takes place, things cosmic events are going to take place. The sun's going to be darkened, moon's not going to give its light. Things in the heavens are going to be shaken. But notice two truths out of there that you really, I think, can take a lot of comfort in. The first truth is this, when Jesus comes back in verse 26, everybody's going to know him. It says, when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. What Christ does in that verse is he reminds us of something Daniel said in Daniel 7. Daniel chapter seven. Daniel gave us a prophecy of the Son of Man coming of the Ancient of Days. Listen to what Daniel says in Daniel seven thirteen through fourteen. He said, "I saw in night visions, and behold, with a cloud of heavens there came one like a Son of Man. He came an Ancient of Days and was presented before Him." And to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominions an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And so Jesus is saying here, Hey, what Daniel said way back then, he's talking about me. I'm that son of man. I'm that ancient of days. And when I come, everybody's going to know who I am. Now, Stop with me right here, because we, we need to kind of do a little, little kind of comparison. Think about how the Bible talks about the two comings of Jesus. When he first came, I know we're, we're about to celebrate Easter, right? But well, let's, let's go all the way back to Christmas. When he first came, how'd he come? He, he came kind of in obscurity, right? He was born in a small town. He was raised in a small town. He lived in a small town. He wasn't born to people of wealth, of royalty. You know, he he didn't have a TikTok following. I mean, nobody really knew who he was. He was born into a, a family that was probably relatively poor. And that was his first coming. But how did he just say he's coming again? When he comes again, he's coming in all his power and with all his glory, so that when he comes again, there's no mistaken who he is. There's no mistaken of his identity. Everyone will see this is the Lord. This is Christ. And notice the second kind of promise that you can hold on to this morning when we see that Christ is going to come. Verse 27 says, he's coming for his people. And he'll send out the angels and gather his elect. Now the word elect there means those that are saved from the four winds, from the four ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So when Christ comes, he's coming for all of his people everywhere. No matter what nation, No matter what language, no matter the color of your skin, the economic level you are in, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he's coming to gather you. That one day we will be in heaven together as believers. It it gives us the picture of Revelation 7, 9 through 10, when John said, "'After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages.'" standing before the throne, before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. That's morning, no matter the problems, no matter the anxiety level, no matter how many times you look out at the culture and say, what in the world is going on? No matter the injustice, You can rest right here. Have faith in this one that's coming again, that's going to bring you to heaven. That's going to bring us together from all parts of the world. He's coming again for his people. Well, notice also that he's coming again, and the time's near. Right, so the time's close. It's near. Notice what Jesus is going to say in verse twenty-eight. So he's coming again. He's going to gather his people. Verse twenty-eight. The time is near. He gives us a, a, a parable, a lesson. He says in verse 28, From the fig tree, learn this lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. So when we think about what he's saying with the fig tree, he's saying, Look, guys, you can look out. And of course, he's talking to this culture and say, Hey, you, you know, the son of man's coming near. Look at the fig tree. When summer gets close, it starts to, you know, the branches develop, they're getting green, they're about to produce figs. Think about how close Jesus is coming right now. Is he going to be another 2,000 years? Well, I don't know. It'll be 200 years? I don't know. It'll be 20 years? I don't know. It'll be two years? I don't know. It'll be two minutes? I don't know. You know, I, I don't know if you did this as a kid, because I, I know many of you, and you were, you were probably good kids. You're good adults, so you had to be good kids, right? Yeah? Okay. You probably had your kid do this, or your grandkid. You're out on a trip. How much longer? How much longer? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? When I was driving with my grandmother, I used to do that. You know, hey, Grandma, are we almost there? We're there. We're close. We're there. My grandma would always tell me this. She would never tell me how close we were. She would just respond this way. We're five minutes closer than last time you asked me. <laughs> Here's where you and I can rest. We don't know when he's coming. Again, it, it could be 2,000 more years. It could be two minutes. We, we don't know. We know he's near. We know it's close. Every day you wake up, all right? So if you get a tomorrow, all right? If you, you get a Monday, all right? You can wake up tomorrow if you get that opportunity and think this. Jesus, I don't know when you're coming back, but I know I'm one day closer to heaven. That's it. (laughs) Jesus, I'm one day closer to seeing you. I mean, in the midst of your problems right now, in the midst of your pain, you can think about it that way. Look, I don't have to suffer for this forever. I'm not gonna suffer with this forever. It may be a little more time that this hardship's gonna take place, but guess what? I'm one day closer to being with you, Jesus, because you're coming back for all your people, and the Bible tells me where I'm going as a believer in Jesus Christ is way better than where I am right now, amen? And so you can stop and think. I don't know when, but it's, it's near, it's close. How close are we? Well, verse 30 says this. He says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now understand verse 30. We can go through it through two different lens again, okay? So this is that dual interpretation. Some people can take verse 30 and say, all right, that generation he was talking about was the destruction of the temple, all right? And so the generation of Jesus' day, they saw the temple destroyed. But I think he's talking about the generation that's going to be alive when he comes. Again, he's pushing us forward. Are we that generation? Is it going to be in my lifetime? Is it going to be in your lifetime? Is it going to be in our kids' lifetime? Is it going to be in our grandkids' lifetime? Is it going to be in our great-grandkids' lifetime? I don't know. Here's the better question. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet him? Are you ready to be a part of that generation that when he comes, he's coming to collect you and bring you to heaven? Here's another question that's better than asking, when's he coming? Who are you helping to get ready? Who are you helping to get ready to meet Jesus? Who are you helping right now to come alongside and pray for and encourage and share the gospel with to say, hey, you're going to meet him one day, and I want to get you ready for that meeting. The time's close. He's near. He's coming for his people. And notice this promise in verse 31. He says, heaven and earth, it'll pass away, but my words will never pass away you know, we, we know this in our, our lives. Things pass. People pass away from us. Things stop. You know, the Bible tells us that at the end in Revelation 19, 20, and 21, that this earth, and this heaven right now is going to pass away, and the new Jerusalem is going to come down. There's a new heaven and new earth, and that, that God is reforming this heaven and this earth back to that pre-sin state in the Garden of Eden of perfection, we know all that's going to change, but God says right here, you can hang on to my word that never changes, that will always exist, that won't pass away. Christ is coming again for his people. Christ is coming again in it's near, but let me show you the third truth is this. Jesus is coming again, and only God knows when. All right, Jesus is coming again. Only God knows that, when that's going to happen. Verse 32, he says, hey guys, I'm coming again but only God knows. He says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So be on guard, keep awake, or your translation may say, stay alert, for you do not know when the time will come. He's coming again for his people. It's it's close, it's near. We're one day closer every day to it happening, and only God knows when it's going to happen. Now, verse thirty-two, you may have read that before. You may have been in a church service before where you've heard a preacher go, "Hey, you know what? Oh, only God knows when Jesus, is you know, when Jesus is coming back. That Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back." And you may have heard that, and you may have just kind of gone on about your day and you know just move through things kind of quickly. Well, let me slow us down here, and here's let me encourage you on this: when you read your Bible, think critically, ask questions. Why did he say that when in other places he says this? What does he mean by this when in other places he means this? Right? Ask those questions. Become a critical thinker when you're reading the Bible. Why? Because that's going to help you develop your faith. Because for some of you, you're already there mentally, I bet. You go, wait, whoa, whoa, hang on one second. I, I, I thought when Jesus was here on the earth, he was fully God and he was fully man right? John 1 14, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. So if he was fully God and Jesus knew all things, like he's already said uh, multiple times in Mark's gospel, hey guys, we're going to Jerusalem. The Pharisees are going to betray me. And you know, I'm going to die on a cross. And three days later, I'm rising from the dead. I mean, he's got that all mapped out. How does he know that being fully God, but yet doesn't know this when he's coming back? Is he not God or what's going on? How how can he know one thing but not another thing? Well, that's a great question. These are the questions we need to ask when we're reading scripture because here's what you need to think through. You understand this verse based on the incarnation. So when John 1 14 happens and God takes on human flesh, Jesus was always fully God. He never laid aside any of that deity, but Philippians 2, 5 through 11, if you read that later, says that he voluntarily laid aside his glory, right? So he's, he's always fully God, but in order to come here and be like us, he laid aside some of his glory, He laid aside that glory. So that means then in his human form, Jesus got sick. Jesus had to eat. Jesus had to sleep. Jesus probably laughed at a really bad joke, you know, uh, that one of the disciples told him, a corny joke and the fire just to probably make Peter stop telling jokes. I don't know. I I like to think that Jesus growing up when he was learning, uh, you know, how to be a carpenter from his dad, probably miscut a board or as he's hammering, he did what I do because I'm not good with tools. And maybe some of what you do, you hit your thumb every so often with that hammer, right? He did that. Why? He was fully human. So there's parts that we can see in the Bible out of his humanity side, he was ignorant of some things. I I love the way James Brooks puts it in his commentary. He says, ignorance of some certain things was simply part of Jesus's humanity, a part of him becoming a real human being. See, That's what makes the cross so miraculous, that God would become like one of us in order to die for us. So when you come to Christ as your Savior, you have a Savior who identifies with you, who knows you, who goes, man, I know exactly what it's like to go through what you were going through because I went through it. You got a friend that said nasty things about you? Guess what? I had a friend too. His name was Judas, right? I mean, all those things that we experience, you got a Savior in Jesus who goes, I've walked that road as well. So here's how we understand verse 32. When he said it then, yeah, he didn't know when he was coming back. But I don't want to give you too much of a spoiler because I want you to come back. What are we about to celebrate in two weeks? Easter, right? So Christ is going to go to the cross, die for us, put him in a tomb. Three days later, what's going to happen, church? He's back alive, right? Amen. That's Easter. When he comes back to life, he rises in all his glory. When he goes up into heaven, he is now the glorified Savior who God says, now I'm giving you all authority. So when he said verse 32, then he didn't know when he was coming back. But right now in heaven, you better believe he knows it now as the risen, glorified Savior. And he says, it's near, it's close, I'm coming, be ready. And that means verses 34 through 37 really put it in our lap. Because he says, be on guard, stay awake, for you don't know when the time will come. He says, hey, I know it now, but you don't know it. And then he gives you this story. It really ought to hit home for all of us. It says, like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Verse 35, therefore stay awake, for you don't know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight, when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I can say to you, I say it all, Stay awake. You should notice that word, stay awake, be on alert, be looking out. He's coming, he's coming. That means this, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are given an assigned task. The master has gone away, as he told us in the story. He's assigned us a task as his servants to do what? Spread the gospel to all people. To fulfill what verse 10 says, Mark 13, verse 10, and the gospel must be first proclaimed to all nations. So we as believers in Jesus Christ, we want to get the gospel out to all people because we know when the gospel hits all people that Christ is coming again. So we stay awake, we stay alert, we stay on mission. This morning I want to introduce you to Brian and Stephanie Brian and Stephanie serve in South Asia, and they are friends with the Roberts. Many of you know the Roberts family as they were here for us for an extended period of time last year. Uh, they are also IMB missionaries, and the Roberts serve uh, somewhat in this region of South Asia where they are. But Brian and Stephanie specifically serve in the top right part of India. They're in the northeast corner, and the region in which they serve is Nepal, Bhutan, and the Bangladesh area. And you are going to begin meeting Brian and Stephanie more and more over time. Uh, They are working on some introductory videos that we'll be showing here on Sunday morning soon. There is their prayer card in the back, uh, tables that you can take home and begin praying for them. The Roberts prayer card is back there as well. And uh, if you think about, well, why why are we going to pray for people in India? I mean, that's all the way across the rest of the world. Why in the world do that? Well, you know, there's 1.7 billion people, billion with a B that live in that region of the world. That's one of the largest concentration of lostness on our planet. 1.7 billion people in that area. Many, many, many of them need Christ as their savior. So Brian and Stephanie, I want to introduce you to some of their work by way of video that they put together for you.
0: What would it look like if the world's greatest concentration of lostness became the world's greatest concentration of light? South Asia is covered with darkness. It's filled with people and places that worship everything but the one true God. All gods, no gods, false gods, material gods, people as gods. Their visible and invisible idolatry has damned South Asians. They have no hope, false hope, dying hope, deafened by temple bells and the calls to prayer. But a lighted match pierces that darkness, ready to ignite a fire that carries the gospel to every tribe, every people, and every language. The South Asian church is small, but God is using it to bring light to communities and slums, high-rises, mountains, and beaches. We're partnering with these brothers and sisters, these co-laborers, teaching them how to evangelize their family, their friends, and neighbors, training them to make disciples of Christ laboring alongside them in both dry and abundant harvest fields. We are seeing the book of Acts unfold anew as the church boldly proclaims the gospel, endures persecution, grows exponentially, trains new believers in the teachings of Jesus, mentors leaders, and moves out into dark places where the gospel has not yet been proclaimed. The South Asian church wants to see the kingdom of God light up its land. Our brothers and sisters want to partner with the global church to fulfill the task Christ gave his disciples before ascending to heaven. To reach South Asia's 1.7 billion people, the South Asian church needs more laborers. By God's grace, IMB missionaries have labored long and hard in this South Asian soil. We're singles, families, empty nesters, students, professionals. Forgetting what is behind us and striving toward the task God has set before us here in South Asia. We are embedding ourselves in communities, listening to the needs of the local church and empowering local believers with solid theology and local ownership of the Great Commission. The harvest is ready, but don't let the laborers be feared. God has equipped the IMB with experience, language, culture, and relationships. We invite you to partner with us in the harvest field. Church planners, students, professionals, retirees, there is a place for you here. And there's no greater cause, there's no greater calling until there's no place left. This is the missionary task. This is our task. The question is, what's your role in ushering in the kingdom of God to South Asia?
1: You know, it's our our vision to continue to expand out how we love and lead all people to a new life with Christ. And so you'll be hearing more about Brian Stephanie, and Stephanie in that region of our world uh, over the next several years because it's my passion, my goal to continue for us to pray for missionaries like them, but then eventually to be able to go on short-term mission trips to India to be able to stand shoulder to shoulder with folks like that and encourage them and help them do what God's called them to do and do what we are called to do as well. And so you'll continue to hear more about that because we want to see the fulfillment of verse 10. The gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And so we care about our neighbors and our nations getting the gospel you know, as we think about this passage this morning, like I said, this really applies to every single one of us because every one of us will meet Jesus one day. And so as we end up this morning, I want to just return us back to verses 35 and 37 through 37. Christ says, Stay awake, for you don't know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight, when the rooster crows or in the morning. You, you don't know the time lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Church, let me say it this way. For us as believers in Jesus Christ, our mission's not done. Not all people have heard. You today, no matter your age, if you have breath in your lungs, you have a task, a mission to continue on with. And that mission doesn't end until God takes you to heaven as a believer in Jesus Christ, or Christ comes to this earth. It didn't stop, no matter your age. There's no spiritual retirement in obeying the Lord. So church, stay awake, be alert, stay on mission, because we as a body of believers would never want Christ to come back again and find us asleep at the wheel. But let me say this to those of you that aren't believers in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to wake up to right now, be awake. Look at who Christ is. This is the one who died for your sins. This is the one who took those to a grave and three days later emerged victorious. The Bible says this one in him alone is the only one who forgives you of that sin. And when you die, takes you to heaven. Be awake to that. Say today, right now, I need Jesus as my Savior. Don't wait another minute. Don't wait another day. Because I don't say this flippantly, you don't know if you have that other day. That what Jesus is clearly saying right there is, if he comes and you're asleep, you're not a believer, you've missed the chance. You've missed the boat. There's no more opportunity for that. And so today I say that lovingly to you, wake up. And see this Jesus and by faith embrace him and him alone today as your Lord and Savior. I want to invite you to stand just I want to thank you for joining us and watching today's message. And I want to just go over a quick story with you. That's a really important story in the Bible and it means a lot to me. It's about a man by the name of Nicodemus. See, Nicodemus was a guy who pretty much grew up going to church all his life. And one night he comes to Jesus and it's late in the evening and he sits down with Jesus and he essentially asks him a question. Jesus, how do I go to heaven? How do I get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus responds in John chapter 3 that you have to be born again. Now, Nicodemus asks a very practical question we all would think. Well, how in the world can someone be physically born twice? That Jesus wasn't talking about a second physical birth. He's talking about a spiritual birth, that you have to be born again. See, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that without Christ, our spirits are dead. that we're not able to worship God and love God and honor God. But then when we come to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, Jesus helps us to be born again. He gives us new birth and our spirits come alive. And so Ephesians chapter 2 again then says, Then by grace you have been saved. It's not a work of yourself. It's the work of Jesus in your life. But listen, that has to be received. You have to receive that gift of grace in your life and believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life. As Simply put it this way, did Jesus do everything he possibly could do to save you on the cross? Or is there something else out there? Is he the only way or are there other ways? You know, the way to be saved is to say Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And friend, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, Jesus forgives you of all your sin, past, present, and future. And when you die, one day he will take you to be with him in heaven. And so when you think about the wonderful promises of Jesus, I want to encourage you today right where you are to receive them and believe in him. And so if you are ready to do that today, let's just bow in prayer. And I'm gonna encourage you in your heart today to mean these words, because this is what God says, that when we believe in our hearts that Jesus has died on the cross for us, that we can be saved. So would you pray with me? You can simply say, dear God, today I believe Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm placing my faith and trust in Him in Him alone. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin and one day taking me to heaven to be with you forever. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Friend, I want to thank you so much today for watching our message and encourage you. If you've prayed today to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, please let us know so we can come alongside of you and encourage you, help you take your next step of faith. You can connect with us at our website, heightschurch.org connect. You can even leave a comment here on this YouTube page. And we'll be in touch with you because we want to just come alongside of you and help you take that next step of faith. So until next time, thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you soon.